afternoon. I'm Charles Lee. And I'm Elise Kovic. And this is the Grok Science Show. Today, we have Dr. Daniel Dresner here to talk about his book, Theories of International Politics and Zombies. So you want to stay tuned for all that, plus the Grokatron 5000. It's coming right up here on the Grok Science Show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Imagine a world ruled by creatures with limited brain power, bent on the eradication of the human race via rampant consumption. Now imagine what would happen if this world faced a zombie catastrophe. This is a scenario presented by Daniel Dresner in his book, Theories of International Politics and Zombies. But before we go any further, and to prevent any snarky comments on grox.net, I know that some of you may think that Dr. Dresner is not sciencey enough for the Grox Science Show. My response to that is this. A, political science is often sciencey enough. B, I'm a fan of Dr. Dresner's foreign policy blog, and I jumped at the chance to chat with him. And I have reoccurring nightmares about, and I'm scared senseless of, and have a sick obsession with zombies. And finally, if a zombie apocalypse ever hits, we scientists better have a better plan. So, back to our guest. Dr. Dresner is a blogger for the Foreign Policy Magazine and a professor of international politics at the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts University. His books, oh, he has many books, and he's also a member of the Council on Foreign Relations and the Zombie Research Society. So, Dr. Dresner, thank you for being a fabulous sport thus far, and welcome to the Grok Science Show. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Oh, wonderful. So your book, um, Theories of International Politics and Zombies, has said to answer the questions that other international relations scholars have been too scared to ask. (laughs) So what sort of questions um, is your book actually asking? Well, my book basically is asking, you know, if in fact you were in a situation where you would have George Romero-type zombies roaming the earth, uh, what would different theories of international politics predict would actually happen? How would the character of world politics be changed? Would these theories offer any useful policy prescriptions uh, for the governments at hand? Gotcha. Well, so considering that there's very little information out there about the last zombie apocalypse, where do you get your ideas about potential scenarios or zombie behavior? Well, this is an excellent question. I mean, obviously, as a good social scientist, you know, my first preference would be to run experimental methods. Uh, (laughs) I have three words, however, for that kind of approach, which is human subjects committees. Uh, Um, We're never going to get through that. IRAs, yeah. Yeah, as you point out, uh, you know, obviously, you'd then fall back to statistical approaches. Unfortunately, the man won't give us the data on this. Mm -hmm. Um, I was actually a little hopeful that maybe the WikiLeaks, you know, information would have uh, zombie-related attacks. Unfortunately, the WikiLeaks data only contains stuff rated secret or below, nothing top secret, and let's face it, the undead are going to be top secret. So mm-hmm. when, you, when you're dealing with a situation where you can't, you know, draw on actual data, what you have to do is rely on the best theories you have at hand, mm-hmm. and then I test that on sort of two sources of data. The first would be the zombie canon itself to see whether or not the sort of dynamics that, let's say, realism or constructivism would predict are played out in, you know, the films of George Romero or Max Brooks's World War Z or what have you. Mm-hmm. 
And the second source of data I look at are zombie-like disasters, a sim- you know, events akin to a, a zombie disaster, such as epidemics or hurricanes or other natural disasters, um, to see how societies have dealt with those sorts of uh, contingencies. I see. Basically, the book predicts how following um, certain ideologies, certain political ideologies, would try to handle this sort of catastrophe or zombie outbreak. So tell me which groups of political thought were examined. And, sure. And how, yeah, how, would, how do you think that they would handle a zombie plague? Well, I would actually first quibble a bit. I wouldn't call them ideologies. I mean, an ideology is something that, you know, in domestic political discourse you'd use to sort of, you know, justify whatever kind of policy you want. These are, you know, in some ways drawn from research paradigms mm-hmm. in political science. I mean, I know that I know that might, you know, for the hard sciences not be thought of as sciency, but, you know, these are, in, at least in, in political science, considered, you know, sort of testable, predictable theories. The ones that I draw on are uh, realism, which is probably the oldest school in international relations. That goes all the way back to Thucydides. Liberalism, uh, social construction which uh, is a more recent one, and then one which is not, which is more like an ideology, neoconservatism. There's actually not a lot of research done in the neoconservative tradition. It does have the risk of being a, a paradigm was actually tried and practiced, though, so I thought it would be useful to include. And then I also deal with the ways in which domestic politics would play a role, the ways in which bureaucratic politics and organizational culture would affect policy responses, and then uh, psychological responses, basically first image or individual responses to the undead. So give me some examples. How would a neocon deal with, with these zombie problems? Well, a neocon, to, you know, the neoconservatives, to their credit, would immediately recognize zombies as an existential threat to humanity. Uh, they would recognize that zombies would hate us for our freedoms, uh, namely our freedom not to eat other people's brains. Mm-hmm. So they would obviously recommend that the best way to deal with this problem would be an aggressive militarized response in which you took the fight directly to the zombies. So you would probably, you know, propose a military approach in which you rely on massive amounts of air power plus elite forces deposited in the heart of the zombie insurgency with the hope that this sort of military action would inspire local insurgents to rise up and overthrow their undead overlords. So shock and awe. Right. Yeah, you would shock and awe the zombies uh, into, you know, re-embracing humanity or just into conceding. The problem with this approach is that the neoconservatives would likely not stop with the zombies. Neoconservatives <laughs> tend to assume that all existential threats walk together, mm-hmm. so they would posit that an axis of evil dead existed, um, <laughs> in which the zombies were clearly probably getting help from other uh, enemies of the United States, you know, Russia, China, Al-Qaeda, the European Union, the United Nations, you name it. All of them would be thought to be in league together. And this would obviously undercut coalition efforts to try to combat the zombies. And it would, it would pose some significant you know, costs in terms of actually trying to implement this kind of policy. Wasn't this actually backed up by data from a Canadian study? The neocon argument was, in fact, and the inspiration for this book was, in fact, done by a Canadian study by a group of biomathematicians from Carleton University Mm -hmm. uh, that, in fact, treated zombies as a pathogen and tried to model this using sort of standard uh, uh, linear programming techniques and concluded, shockingly, that unless you get to the zombies early, civilization as we know it will be wiped out. I read that article and thought it was very good, but there was not a lot of politics in it in the sense of it just sort of assumed that the, the zombie plague cross borders effortlessly. And I don't think that's actually how it would work in real life. So that was why, in fact, I, I decided to develop this book. Well, but in Dawn of the Dead, the most recent one has no problem crossing water. Yeah, no, that's true. That's an important thing, you know, that uh, we talk about the sort of stopping power of water. I don't think it was Dawn of the Dead. I think it was actually Romero's Land of the Dead, where you saw water not being an issue. Oh, and, and Dawn of the Dead, too. You're right. Yeah, the Sarah Polly. Uh, that's, a, that's a good point. I've forgotten about that. Um, <laughs> 
That that's that's true. Uh, although generally speaking, the fast zombies, you know, in the New Dawn of the Dead mm-hmm. or in Twenty Eight Days Later or in the great BBC short series Dead Set, uh, actually are determined. I love that. The, oh, have you seen Dead Set? I have. It's Isn't brilliant. That, it's a, Incredibly bleak ending, but I thought that was just friggin' brilliant. I, I'm right there with you, buddy. Yeah. Whereas slow zombies, like uh, the ones in Romero's Land of the Dead, do cross water without that much difficulty. Huh. So, okay, you know, I, I'm a zombie person, and I am just wondering, uh, how do you feel about the fast versus slow zombies? Well, I actually take this on directly in the book, and it's in a chapter called Distracting Debates About Flesh-Eating Ghouls. Mm-hmm. So the argument I make is that, you know, while the fast versus slow issue is terribly important at the sort of tactical level, I mean, if you're on a SWAT team or a, uh, a military unit, you're going to want to know whether or not they're fast or slow. Yeah. From an international relations perspective, I actually argue it doesn't matter. Basically, by and large, it's going to be a cross-border security problem regardless. And the reason is, is that if you watch most of the, the films on this, there generally seems to be a very strong correlation between whether or not the zombies are fast and slow and whether the incubation period is short or long. Mm-hmm. So slower zombies also have longer incubation periods, meaning if you're bit by a zombie, by a slow zombie, you know, it can last anywhere from 24 to 48 hours before you die and then, you know, rise up as part of the undead. Mm -hmm. Whereas on the other hand, if you think about 28 days later, those are fast zombies, you get bitten and 30 seconds later, you're part of the infected. Absolutely. Right. So this matters because it means that in a fast zombie scenario, governments are obviously also going to have to respond quickly. The virus will spread dramatically rapidly. It'll be tough to ignore. Governments will automatically have to clamp down and, and try to respond to it. In the case of slow zombies, however, because you know the infection could last a long time and people could still be humans, even though they've been bitten by a zombie, mm-hmm. they can travel. You know, you can get anywhere from point A to point B in this globe in about 24 hours. So the likelihood of the virus spreading across borders with slow zombies is also pretty high because it'll take a lot longer for governments to respond to the slow zombie problem. This is, of course, say that it's a viral thing, and if the virus actually mutates in a way that the incubation period is actually shorter, because in The Walking Dead, the new, Mm -hmm. is it AMC series? AMC, yes. Yeah, that's a pretty long incubation period, if I remember. Yeah, so Um, we've got fast zombies and slow incubation. Right. Uh, well, no, they're not fat. I don't think they're fat. I mean, it, actually, I, I like the way AMC did it, which is, on the whole, those zombies are actually pretty slow, unless for some reason they get into a group, and then they start acting fast. <laughs> which, I, 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 I mean, I, I liked how they played, you know, uh, with that. That was an interesting, because uh, uh, you saw that in the, the, in the pilot of the show in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that, that's certainly an interesting, uh, an interesting variation, let's just say. Yeah, I, I agree. So, your book, it's fun. I, I saw well, it, and I heard zombies, yay. Um, and... <laughs> And then all of a sudden, I realized that I was learning something about world <laughs> politics. Like, what, what, what the hell just happened there? So, yeah. yeah I, my work is done here. This is great. <laughs> so, I mean, I learned about a little bit about international policy. And you use zombies as the most fun hypothetical situation I could think of. So, tell me how you managed to get away with that one. <laughs> well, there's a few things. First of all, I'm a full professor, which means I'm bulletproof. As yeah. these things go. <laughs> so, it meant that I could decide, all right, I don't want to write about zombies. And, you know, the, it wasn't like I could get fired at that point or anything like that. It's good to be tenured, huh? Yes. It, tenured is uh, tenure's a very nice thing in some sentences. <laughs> the second thing was that really, in some ways, this started with a blog post at Foreign Policy in response, in fact, to the, the Carlton University paper. Mm-hmm. And what struck me was that I went to the American Political Science Association meetings about two weeks after that post. And a lot of my colleagues, 
you know, who were teaching summer school told me that they had actually referenced that post when they were, t- you know, teaching their students, mm-hmm. and that it actually worked for them. That, you know, trying to teach the finer points of, let's say, social constructivism in an abstract sense is tough, but your average 18-year-old knows zombies. And so that was when I realized this might actually be useful as a pedagogical device. You know, plus, let's face it, all book titles are better if you add the, the words and zombies at the end. I agree. Yeah, so, you know, it, it was one of those things where, uh, you know, I pitched it and Princeton University Press was interested. So I can actually claim this is peer-reviewed scholarship. It's my kind of scholarship. It kept my <laughs> attention. Um, so um, which po- uh, political, okay, ideologies? For- paradigms. Paradigms, thank yeah. you. What? Do you, which ones do you think would thrive if zombies took over? Uh, or which ones would get eaten alive if they took I, over? You know what? I'm afraid I can't answer that question in the sense of, I, I mean, I really did try to be an honest broker in writing this book. I mean, one of the interesting things that I keep getting asked is, well, which one do you think would really work? And the truth is, I was trying to honestly, you know, do the best job I could in depicting each of these paradigms, and then, of course, having merciless fun ripping them to shreds. That said, I do think that the surprising thing I came away from writing this book, and I didn't have this expectation going in, is that I actually think the zombie canon is far too pessimistic about the way that humanity would respond to zombies. As you know, if you're a zombie fan, you know the way the zombie canon works. It's a very strict formula. In minute one, the zombies, you know, exist. By minute ten of the movie or the series, you are in a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and all civilization has ended. Yeah. Based on the paradigms, you know, regardless of which paradigm you use, the interesting thing is that most of them come away with a somewhat similar conclusion in that the great powers, the really powerful states, the ones with dynamic societies and, you know, reasonably decent health infrastructure and and military infrastructures would probably be able to thwart an insurrection of the undead. That said, the periphery would obviously be in deep trouble. And so there's a lot of sort of large and weak developing economies that would probably face state collapse. But interestingly enough, you know, to update, you know, what Thucydides said during the history of the Peloponnesian War, in a zombie universe, the strong still do what they can, and the weak must suffer being devoured by reanimated ravenous corpses. I remember that quote. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So um, I want to know, what's your favorite zombie movie? I know I'm supposed to say the original Dawn of the Dead, but... Why? You don't have to. It's 28 Days Later. Really? It, it, it's just a good movie. It is. I mean, it, you know, it, it's just a shocking movie. That that opening sequence where he's walking, you know, in an abandoned in London. London. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just startling to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just an incredibly well done movie. Uh, so so that's that's hands down my best, my favorite, I think. Yeah, I, that comes in probably a close third. Ah, so what are yours? Let me let me hear. Oh uh, well, the the most the Sarah Polly Ving Rhames Dawn of the Dead is my favorite because after that I started having reoccurring nightmares and I kid you not about that. Oh wow, okay. Um, and well, and then number two would, and this is just a recent thing because I love Bill Murray. I I love <laughs> Bill Murray in Zombieland. He's very good, and I actually when I do the I have a I have a pardon the pun, killer PowerPoint presentation <laughs> where I, I present this. And there is a, you know, I use a clip from Zombieland with Bill Murray in it. So uh, oh, yeah? that is a fine movie. I mean, also, I mean, let's face it. I I actually, I like Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. I do think Romero's Dawn of the Dead is better. Do you? Um, I do. It, it, I mean, in some ways, it's, it, you know, it's sort of like the urtext that most zombie movies made after that borrow at some point in some form or another from that movie. And then, of course, there's Shaun of the Dead, which is just... Oh, love that, yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, I take it back. Actually, one of the recent Romero movies, with the one with John Leguizamo, um, where... Land of the Dead. Yes, okay, exactly. That's one where they actually start to develop 
consciousness. That that one was that was pretty darn freaky. And actually, I mean, I, you, uh, it's an example. You know, it would be an example of realism because that's the argument that anarchy is such a powerful constraint that all actors have to adapt in order to be able to survive, including even uh, the living dead. Um, so you know, by the by the end of that movie, you know, the zombies have a clear hierarchical command structure. Mm-hmm. They launch a relatively well-disciplined assault involving superior tactics and strategy on the city of Pittsburgh mm-hmm. um, and succeed in their attack. Good times. Um, <laughs> so now if you were president, yes, what would your strategy be for dealing with The Walking Dead? Well, I think the first strategy would be that, you know, that too often it's been focused on, you know, you, you think, well, we've got to engage in prevention to prevent this sort of thing from ever happening. Um, and I actually think that's a counterproductive strategy, because if you know anything from the zombie canon, you know that the source of, of the undead is just way too myriad. There are too many possibilities. You know, you could have a biological accident. You could have a radiological accident. You could have a supernatural incident. You know, just the evil of the thriller could come back. Um, so attempting to try to prevent it from actually happening, I think, is a futile exercise. And in some ways, you know, from organization theory, there are ways in which actually trying to install, you know, safety procedures to prevent the undead would actually, you know, help abet the crisis. This is sort of a Charles Perrault normal accidents kind of problem. So rather, what I think you'd want to do um, would be to have contingency plans if, in fact, you start seeing, you know, the zombies emerging in various places. And the important thing would be to, to make sure that you've got enough education so that, you know, the, the national security bureaucracies would not just rely on standard operating procedures, um, because by definition, the zombies are a non-standard outcome. Uh, so you'd want to make sure that they would recognize this is a new tactical situation. You would have to deal with it in a, in a novel way. Okay, so we have to start ending this interview because um, I'll talk to you for the full hour if I possibly can. Um, all right, the book is getting great reviews. It's smart, quick, fun, well-written. And you learn a lot about international political theories. Um, so everyone needs to pick this up. Um, they're a fool if they don't. Uh, theories of international politics and zombies. But before you go, yes. um, do you have some time to answer a few questions from our supercomputer, the Grokatron 5000, formerly known as Deep Blue? I, I Oh, the Deep Blue has been replaced. I didn't realize that. Yet. Yeah, I, it's I, now I'm called happy. the Grokatron 5000. Uh, I like the Grokatron. That's good. I would be happy to answer questions. <laughs> okay, so the Grokatron's topic today is tasty brains. Um, for the following five people, yes. uh, if you were a zombie, would you A, eat those tasty brains, B, move on as their brains have already been eaten, or C, keep moving. There was never a brain there to begin with. <laughs> Okay. So are you ready to answer the Grokatron 5000? I'm ready. Hit me. All right. Number one, Charlie Sheehan. Oh, God. That's, you. I mean, I think you got to go with B. Clearly, there are no brains left. <laughs> um, unless, unless the last month is basic. I mean, I, I think the last month for him has been, an. I think, a secret effort to try to campaign for a role as the Joker in the next Batman movie. <laughs> Except, of course, he doesn't realize that the Joker already occurred in the last Batman movie, which, again, suggests no brains. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Charles. All right. Uh, number two is uh, Muammar Gaddafi. Oh, he already is a zombie. <laughs> uh, I mean, have you seen that face? I mean, that, that actually is, you know, uh, the, the, uh, yeah, when I saw him recently, I was like, dear God, he actually is a, a member of the Living Dead. So, and, and, you know, one of the key rules about zombie movies is that zombies don't turn on other zombies. So, no, I wouldn't eat him. Go ahead, Charles. Uh, number three, Hillary Clinton. Oh, those are some tasty brains. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Some you know, I mean, you know, brains. say what you will, you know, agree with her ideologically or not, dumb is not a word you associate with Hillary Clinton. So, no, the, the, you, you'd, uh, you'd quaff those brains down uh, pretty quickly. Tasty big brains. Yum, yeah. yum. Can't go wrong. All right. Uh, Kate Middleton. 
Well, first I'd want to buy her a you know nice Chianti and uh, <laughs> no uh, <laughs> side of fava beans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that actually did not come out the way I'd intended it. <laughs> I knew where you were going. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I think anyone who you know successfully marries into the uh, the British royal family, actually, that is kind of some questionable brains if you consider previous women who have married into the British royal family. Yeah. So I, you know, that might be something where like I try it, and if I like it, I'd continue, but I'd, I'd be a little cautious. <laughs> An actual, like, member of the British royal family, I mean, the amount of inbreeding that has taken place among the royals, you know, over <laughs> centuries, I mean, I, those brains, I would, the, you know, you're talking pickled. <laughs> I wouldn't want to touch those. All right, number five, the last of the Gracatron, 5,000 questions. The University of Chicago Political Science Department. <laughs> oh, I told you you'd I, like I, that one. What? I told you you would like that one. Yes, I, I think there would probably be some brains that I would find, you know, delectable among that. But, I, you know, it's, uh, um, you know, uh, you've rendered me speechless on that one. Oh, wowee. Okay, well, uh, Mr. Dresner, Dr. Dresner, pardon me, um, okay. Daniel Dresner, um, everyone go pick up the latest book, uh, Theories of International Politics and Zombies. I loved speaking with you. Um, please come back to the Grok Science Show anytime you want. You are a lot of fun, and you've made me smarter. Oh, God, that is very high praise. I, I find that very hard to believe, and thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. Well, you have a wonderful day, and hopefully we'll chat again soon. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Zombies. Zombies. I yes, I I'm a big Dresner fan. I I think he's delightful, smart, and like I said, who would have thought you could learn so much about politics from zombies? I, I always thought know. that. The the in joke for people who didn't get the last of the Grokatron five thousand though. Oh I don't why, no! It. Why don't why, everyone should just go look <laughs> up Dr. Dresner, Daniel Dresner, look at his wiki page, and everyone could figure it out um, <laughs> themselves. You uh, have seen made a very poor faculty decision with Dr. Dresner. And, so, I wonder. I wonder how zombies would affect uh, biodiversity. Oh, you know how they would. <laughs> It wouldn't be pretty. It would be the real politic of zombies and biodiversity. Indeed it would. So it's, uh, it's shout-out time, and Indeed. I haven't been here to shout-out in a while. So um, special ooey-gooey shout-out kisses to our friend Mick. What would we do without Mick, really? I wouldn't be happy. I, I don't think uh, anybody would be happy. I mean, he's the heart and soul of the Grok Science blog. Yes, and um, if everyone wants to, a lot of people expressed concern about Frank. He ah yes. Yeah, why don't you say something about that? Well, yeah. So yeah, indeed, Frank. Uh, Frank is doing fine. Luckily, he was actually in the states, uh, not in Japan, when the earthquake hit. So. Um, and everyone else, uh, why don't you email us and let us know if you want a shout out. Um, email us at grokscience at gmail.com. Uh, let us know if you have any show suggestions. Uh, let us know if you think that we're morons. Um, you can also go to groks.net and there is a handy dandy blog and you can leave a couple of comments there. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know if you have any show suggestions. And uh, yeah, basically we would just love to hear from you. Post whatever you're thinking, your laundry list grocery list mm -hmm. something sciencey that'd be good too we're also thinking about starting a video blog so let us uh, know if you have any suggestions there that would be good all right well this has been the grok science show i've been your host charles lee and i'm elise kovic and we'll be back in two weeks with uh, more from the world of science and technology if you'd like to contact us email us science at groks.net 
the website, grox.net, www.grox.net. We are on Facebook and Twitter. And make sure you post on the website. Let us know what you're thinking, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll respond to all of your comments, good, bad, ugly, or otherwise. 